All right, like I said, we are starting a new series called The Who We Are, uh, and we're going to be looking at our core values for the next uh, four weeks. Those core values are gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, member-driven, and mission-minded. So today we're looking at gospel-centered. If you want to read along with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, again, verses 18 to 31, God's Word says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God, through wisdom it pleased God, through the folly of what we preach, to save those who believe. It says this in verse 22, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, hear this, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to declare a truth about my life this morning. I love barbecue. I love barbecue meat. I love smoked meat. When we have a company over at our house, usually I'll smoke different kinds of pork, uh, primarily because pork is cheaper than most other meats out there. And so I'll smoke ribs or a pork shoulder. Pork shoulders render uh, pulled pork sandwiches. You get them on that brioche bun, put it on there with a little bit of mustard and some pickles. You got to have the vinegar with the sweet and barbecue. But I have to admit that, that I'm a cheater when it comes to barbecue. I don't have this nice big barrel smoker where I get actual chunks of wood and, and build a fire in there and, and create the coals and the smoke because I have what's called a pellet smoker, kind of like a Traeger. You guys know what I'm talking about, a Traeger? You, you load these little pre-made pellets in there. It has a digital thermometer where I enter in the temperature, and then I, I basically press go and come back in eight hours, and everything's done, and it tastes delicious. Slap some barbecue sauce on that thing, and we're good to go. So I, I'm a cheater, but I love, again, smoked meats. That, that base meat flavor, right? The, the pork, whether it be the shoulder with all the, the fat and the drippings uh, working together and that smoke permeating in. You put a little bit of salty, sweet goodness on that thing, pull it out, pull it apart. I love the pulled pork because you have different kinds of meat. You have the bark on the outside. You guys know what I'm talking about? The bark, that crunchy goodness on the outside, but then inside it's kind of shredded out. I'm hungry already. All those flavors, they combine 
And, and basically with barbecue, you have something just a little less than heaven when you're done, right? That, that heavenly feast, almost there. Why all this talk about, about food? Much like that smoke permeating the meat, our, chor- our church has core values. We have core values that permeate and saturate, saturate all that we say and do. Our sermons are flavored by these values. Our, our fellowship is saturated with these ideals. Our presence in the community that we serve represent these things. That we are a gospel-centered church. That we are in a spirit-empowered people. That we are driven by our members. And that we are mission-minded. That means we have a mind to go and take the gospel to those who are lost and hurting in our community and around the world. And so we look to the first of these today uh, is that we are gospel-centered. That means we are Christ-centered, cross-centered. When we talk about uh, the gospel and being gospel-centered, it means we are centered on the work of Jesus Christ. We're all about the good news of Jesus. Uh, When we gather as the body of Christ, we are going to do this. We're going to make much about our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's our Redeemer. He's our brother. He's our King. The Bible says he is the name above all names. And in him it says he is the power of God. It says this in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. So those who are not in Christ have not believed upon Jesus and his saving work. And then it says, but, but to us, that is us who gather together, followers of Jesus, Christians, but to us who are being saved, he says this, it is what? The power of God. The gospel is the power of God. To the watching world, the gospel is a message of folly. It's foolishness. They may say these things in this time, in this context, in, uh, to the Corinthian church. You, your king died a criminal's death? A death that was even below the, the lowest Roman citizen? And you want me to place my confidence in his kingdom, in his work? But we come to that word, but, in the passage. But to those who are being saved, Christian, we're being saved through the gospel. That is, those who have placed their their confidence, trust, faith in the work of Christ. On their behalf, Paul says this. He says, it is the power of God. That word doesn't really capture the original word in the Greek. The original word in the Greek was this word, dynamis. Okay, do you know what word we get in our English language from dynamis? What does it sound like? Okay, 4th of July around here in Kentucky. We have something a little bit smaller than it seems like dynamite blowing up in our neighborhoods. This is where we get this word dynamis is where we get this English word dynamite. And I think my next door neighbor blows up dynamite every 4th of July. So Paul's saying, he's saying the gospel, the Christ is power. He is dynamite. Explosive. Paul would later say this of the gospel. So we have, he's saying it is power. And then he says this in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Then we'll skip to verses 3 to 4. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand. And then he says this, for I delivered to you as of, underline this, underline this in your Bible, in your notes, of first importance. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And hear this. This is what he says is of first importance to the Christian, to the church, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That he was buried. So he didn't just die on the cross. He was dead, dead. He went into the grave. And then, this beautiful news, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, just like the Bible said would happen. Paul says, the Bible says, this is of first importance. It's the power of God, and it's of first importance that Jesus Christ did these things in history. In another spirit-inspired writing of Paul, he says this in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, and he uses this term again, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. And so if, if the word of God, if the Bible says something is powerful, is dynamite in a sense, it also says it's of first importance. Don't you think we should be centered on that thing that the Bible says is powerful and of first importance? Michael Horton, a a theologian I love to read, says this. He says this of the gospel. The gospel is also known, before I read this quote, the gospel is also known as, as the good news. It's the good news about Jesus. He says this, good advice may help us in daily direction. As I preach to you, I can give you good advice. Okay, but there's only one thing I can say to you that can save you, and that's the gospel. That's the good news about Jesus. He says the good news concerning Jesus Christ saves us from sin's guilt and tyranny over our lives. So it delivers us from the guilt and weight of sin, but it also delivers us from the tyranny of sin, meaning that Jesus gives us a way out of sinning. It delivers us from the fear of death, he says. He says it's it's good news because it does not depend on us. It doesn't depend on us pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but it depends on God. It's about God and his faithfulness to his own purposes and promises. The, The gospel, the word about Jesus shows us that God keeps his promises. It is all about Jesus We're gospel-centered as a church because Jesus is central. He's the center point of who we are. Here's the truth. If you don't walk away with anything else, we are nothing apart from Christ. We are nothing apart from Jesus. From our text this morning, we're going to look at three things that the gospel is. Three things. The first one is this. The gospel is counter-culture. It's counter to the world that we live in. The gospel is counterculture. The, the message of the gospel and the fruit of the gospel is counterculture. It's counter to our inclination as fallen beings. We, we are fallen and, and we are in sin apart from Christ. And so our drive in our sin is to be like the world. To seek after things that please us instead of things that please God. The gospel is counter to the power structures that dominate the world. We preach in this church and in churches around the globe, we preach a message that is counter to the world system. 
That is the kingdom of darkness. Paul says this in verses 19 to 23. For it is written, this is what God says he's going to do. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach... To save those who believe. He says this, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Paul there is saying all of humanity, he's covering from Jew to Greek, he's saying everybody. But we preach this, Christ crucified. And he says this, is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. He covers the whole gamut of humanity. Paul makes an interesting statement in verse 22 of this passage. It says, for Jews demand signs and, and Greeks seek wisdom. Here, here's the truth. When we read the Gospels, Jesus failed to meet the expectations of many of the Jews. We know for certain that he saved a remnant of Jews. It says here they demand signs. We, we see the proof of this in the Gospels. The scribes and Pharisees asked Jesus a number of times to show them a sign, Right? But, but here's the sign that they were truly looking for. Because he, he healed people. He, he preached the word, it says, with authority. This is the sign that they were looking for. They were looking for the sign of power. And the power they sought was this. It was an earthly power. They may have said this. Where, where is our earthly conquering king who is going to ascend to an earthly throne and overthrow our earthly enemies in his purple clad clothes and robe? Majestic king, Messiah. But instead, Jesus did this. This was the power that Jesus displayed. He ascended the hill and the hill was called the skull. And Jesus was raised up on a cross and he was crowned, not with a crown of gold, but with a crown of thorns. And instead of a purple robe, he was stripped bare on the cross and clothed in his own scarlet blood. He was counter to what the Jews expected. Salvation in their perspective came through earthly power, but through Jesus, God was showing them what true salvation and true power really is. The Greeks, it says, the Greeks seek wisdom. In their minds, they, they were saved or, or they were above other people through intellectual assent. Reasoning and argument and deep thought. Can you imagine this, this message of the cross to, to those eloquent, deep-thinking philosophers of the age? You want me to place my hope in a Jewish carpenter who was homeless and died on a cross, who died a criminal's death. And sometimes we fall, family, into the same trap of, of the Jews and the Greeks described here. Sometimes we, we look to bring the gospel to the lost through worldly power structures. And here's the truth. The, the gospel doesn't save through the power of the sword. Just, just look through to the crusades in history. How did that work out for the church? The gospel doesn't, doesn't save through electing certain political officials 
or through force, but it saves in this way, through preaching Christ and Him crucified. Through the preaching of God's Word. Or we can also fall into the trap of bringing the gospel through only intellectual assent, trying to argue someone into the kingdom. But we, we must be mindful that the gospel is the power to save. Not our persuasive words, but rather it is the Spirit of God working through the preached proclamation of the gospel that breaks down a hard heart and opens them up to the way of salvation. And for clarity, present the gospel in a winsome way. We want to win people to Christ. Paul was persuasive in his speech, but persuasion doesn't win people. The Spirit of God does. This is Paul says here, let, we boast in the Lord, not in our persuasion. We make much about God. We even at times model the world's lust for power and wisdom in, in our churches Sometimes we place our, our doctrine high above, above the fellowship, demonizing those who oppose our views, maybe on trivial, trivial issues. I'm not talking about primary issues. I'm talking about trivial issues. When oneness in Christ must take priority in the fellowship. One of, one of my brothers in Christ sent me this quote uh, this past week from a, a missionary, S.D. Garrett. He was a missionary in Africa. He says, says this, quote, Division always follows when, when, when men make doctrine the basis of fellowship instead of Christ. It is oneness in Christ, the unity of the Spirit, doing all things in love. That makes true fellowship. As long as we agree on the primary things, those secondary and third things... Don't mean much. Our, our unity must be in Christ through the power of the Spirit. Christ is central to who we are as a church. We are gospel-centered because the cross is this. The cross is the pivot point in all of history. It separates those who are being saved from those who are perishing, as Paul says. And it transforms us personally and corporately. When I say corporately, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about the big buildings downtown. I'm talking about the church, the corporate church. When we gather together, we are the corporate body of Christ. We are forgiven of our sins in order to rightly worship God and enjoy Him and glorify Him forever. That's what Christ has set us free to do. We, do, we, have a, we have a deep longing for worldly power in our sin and wisdom and knowledge as an ascent towards eternity, and yet we are truly saved through the power of a crucified Savior. And the grace that was bestowed upon those who are saved by, by Jesus, it radically reorients our lives towards His kingdom living and example. That's what happens when we preach the gospel. It reminds us of where we were and where we're going, and it should radically reorient our life towards his kingdom. Ray Ortland says this in his book titled The Gospel. says, the need of our times, hear this, the need of our times 
is nothing less than the re-Christianization of our churches. Hear this, according to the gospel alone in both doctrine and culture by Christ himself. We need the gospel to saturate us all the way to our cores. We need the gospel to saturate our fellowship. The word about Christ, the good news about Jesus. We must rely on the work of Christ as that, as Paul said, is, is, is which of, of first importance and central to our faith. Our second point, the gospel is this. The gospel is personal and communal. The gospel is personal and communal. The gospel is our personal salvation. Okay, I'm not I wasn't saved through the faith of my mother. I was saved because my mom shared the gospel with me. I'm not saved through the faith of my parents. I'm not saved because I'm born into a Christian family. I need to receive Christ. I'm saved because I have a relationship with Jesus. So it's personal in that regard, and it's communal or shared within a fellowship of believers. God is saving a people, not a bunch of individuals. We personally receive it and corporately express it within the church. It's the importance of the gathered body of Christ. says this in verses 24 to 29, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, do you see that unifying aspect of the message? Both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. I love how Paul there goes after both Jews and Greeks in that statement. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, because it's all about Him and His glory. We witness in this section the joining of a people through the message of the gospel, Jews and Greeks. People from, we see in this passage, people from from all walks of life. Okay, and, and when it says Greeks, he's meaning the rest of us, everybody else. Bringing in those who are low. Okay, now I know you might read this passage and be like, man, this, is, this kind of makes me feel bad about myself. That like God's calling the lowly and the despised. Is Paul calling me this? Let's, let's talk about what he's meaning here. Okay, to my knowledge in this room, none of us is born to any earthly kings, right? None of us is a president in here. So what Paul's getting at here, I believe, is that God calls the normal. God call, We're just a bunch of normal folk in Bullock County and Jefferson County coming together to worship Christ. Paul's not diminishing the social standing of the group he's writing to when he calls them low and despised. He's just saying we're just a bunch of normal people following Jesus. 
We're a bunch of normal people. This is what we get to do on Sundays. We're a bunch of normal people gathering to worship an amazing, glorious God because of the work of Christ. Because of the work of His Son applied to us personally and growing together in community. Going back to uh, Ray Ortland in his writing in the gospel, he says this. He says, so the gospel must land on each of us personally. You and I must believe the gospel for ourselves first and foremost. I want to pause for a second. There's some people I will talk through. Like, when, when were you saved? I've been a Christian my whole life. No, when, when did you receive Christ as your Savior? When did your faith become your own? gospel must land on each of us personally. You and I must believe the gospel for ourselves first and foremost. Then he says this, but the gospel also creates this, a new kind of community, a gospel culture called a church. That's, his, that's what we are. We're a gospel culture. And we should look drastically different from the world. We should be a a culture of grace and mercy and love, bearing each other's burdens and loving each other. And the Bible says, stirring each other up towards good works. We're, We're this new kind of community. And North Bullet Christian Church is just one local church that God has assembled with a bunch of normal people for His glory. We're just a bunch of normal people gathered to worship our glorious King. Why is it just a bunch of normal people? So that no one can boast. There's nothing amazing that we bring to the table. We bring God this, an offering of our sin, and He grants us this, His Son's righteousness. He adopts us and he gives us the family name. He he calls us sons and daughters. And here's the beauty. We're just one local expression. We're united through Christ to believers right now all around the world. Today, hear this family, millions of Christians will gather to worship the one true God. We will hear the message that is of first importance, the gospel. We'll sing to our resurrected king, and then we'll go out with grateful hearts. This is what we're, we're doing. We're being sent out with grateful hearts to proclaim uh, this same message to those who are perishing. To proclaim the gospel to the lost. Point number three. The gospel does this. The gospel transforms us. It justifies us, sanctifies us, glorifies us. I love that song that we sang right before I came out here because it talks about these things. The gospel is transformative. It changes us. It changes who we are. We are new creations in Christ. The church has has had a tendency to treat the gospel only as a means of salvation. 
and has neglected the sanctification or spiritual growth brought about through the preaching of the gospel. The gospel is not this. It's not just the infant milk that gets people saved and then your moral living saves you the rest of the way. The gospel is everything. It's A to Z. It covers everything. Again, the Bible says it is power. It's the power to save, sanctify, and glorify. That is to save us, to grow us in Christ's likeness, and to bring us to glory, to complete its work. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you is what? Is faithful to complete it. Verses 30 to 31. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Hear this. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We don't get any credit. He gets all of it. Never depart from this beautiful truth, this beautiful message that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This message saves us because it reminds us that we bring nothing to the table and we gain relationship with God through the work of Christ. We get the, bull, the full benefits of his, of his perfection applied to us as Jesus substituted himself for us. And this is why he and not us is the central aim of every worship gathering. We don't gather to sing our praises. We gather to sing his praises. I can't leave uh, Charles Spurgeon out of this one. He, I got a couple of Spurgeon quotes. He had a habit of denouncing preachers who did not make much of Jesus in their sermons. A quick Google search will just give you a list of quotes there. I love this one. He says this, The model of all true servants of God must be, We preach Christ and Him crucified. A sermon without Christ, he says, in it is, is like a loaf of bread without any flour. <laughs> he says this, No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. We're going to make much about Jesus. If I get up here and I, and I don't talk about Christ, then tell me to go home until I have something to worth preaching about. And so what does this mean to us? What is, our, what is our application? What I want you to do with this is you leave and go out this week and every day, my hope is this is every day for the rest of your life is this. Devote yourself to daily thinking about the gospel and its implications on your life. Think about the gospel. Think about that which Paul said is of first importance. Think about that thing he said is the power to save. I challenge you, family, to dwell on this message of Jesus. The beauty of a, of a scripture, just think about this. I know this is our, our Sunday school memory verse, but think about John three sixteen and 17. We stop at 16, but 17 is beautiful too. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. But wait a second, hear this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's good news. 
Do you believe this? Do you believe this truth? Here's the beauty about Jesus. You don't have to have everything all figured out. We talked about a man a few weeks ago that that said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. He didn't have everything figured out. He was just humble enough to admit it to Jesus. You don't have to get your life straightened out and cleaned up before you come to the cross. Come just as you are. You don't have to dress a certain way or be part of a certain group or vote a certain way. But rather, we do this, we come humbly before the cross of Jesus and we cry out to Him. And He is this, He's mighty to save. He's mighty to save you. And so to those who believe, those who believe upon Jesus, devote yourself to looking upon Him. Grow, love Jesus. Many of our our problems in life are gospel problems. Because we haven't fully taken hold of the gospel and applied the gospel to our marriages and our personal relationships and our, our work. Look upon the gospel first. To transform your thinking. If, if we truly believe this, this amazing grace has been poured out upon us, how would that transform our marriage? How would that transform the way we interact with each other? How would that transform our relationships? How would that transform the way we work? How would that transform the way, I'm preaching myself now, the way I drive? <laughs> One more Spurgeon quote for you. says this, it is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self, that is me, to who? Jesus. says this, but Satan's work is just the opposite of this, for he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by this. This is what I want you to leave with. Looking unto Jesus.